Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. From humble beginnings in Guadalajara, Mexico, to the new executive director for Horizons of Friendship in Coburg, Rodrigo Koenigs is very excited to be leading this non-government organization based in Northumberland County. In this interview, he will share his life story and his passion for helping others. Plus, he will give an insight into what he thinks is in store for the future. I'm so pleased to have with me today, Rodrigo Koenigs, the new Executive Director of Horizons of Friendship. Welcome to Consider This Northumberland. Thank you, Robert. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I think a good place to start is to have you tell us a bit about yourself. Well, uh, sure. Uh, I'm I'm from Mexico. Um, that's where I grew up. Uh, from a city called Guadalajara. Uh, it's kind of like in the middle west part of of the country. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in international development. Uh, sorry, in international relations. Uh, from from the ITESO University in Guadalajara, uh, and just like a lot of people, I I I moved to this country trying to look for a, you know for a better future, and 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 that was like twenty years ago in August. It's gonna be twenty years. Um, I did a little of everything, just like a lot of immigrants, and I eventually learned enough English and saved them enough money to to do my master's degree. In international development, um, for the with the University of Ottawa, um, I have ever since then I have worked with a lot of nonprofit organizations in in different capacities, and but a common trend has been um, that I have worked with marginalized communities, uh, people affected by mental health um, problems, addictions, uh, homelessness. Um, uh, people with chronic illnesses, um, people with previous interactions um, with the justice system. Um, so I have more than I think around fifteen years of experience working in the nonprofit sector in Canada. Um, always there uh, in the nonprofit, uh, you know, um, supporting organizations. Uh, and I started at. Um, Horizons just like a month ago, so I'm still learning the ropes here, uh, but I'm very excited. Tell us a bit about your early life. What was it like growing up in Guadalajara? Uh, growing up in Guadalajara, it, it was it was fun. Um, I I spent a lot of time hanging out with my friends on the streets, playing uh, football or or soccer, how we call it here in, in Canada. Um, you know, they they truly truly became 
part of my family, my my neighborhood friends. I'm still in touch with them. Uh, Daniel and Chui, if you ever watch this podcast or listen to this podcast, I, I shout out to you guys. And um, it, it, it was good. Uh, but also, I became aware really quickly about injustices. Um, there's a, a lot of uh, I think there are two angles in terms of injustices um, that are like very structural. One is race-based. You know, people are still judged by the color of the skin, for example. And and it was in my teenage years when I started like dating uh, girls. That I realized that, you know, like some of my friends that had darker skin weren't as welcome as I was, uh, for example. You know, like this is prejudice still. Uh and the other big one is is poverty. Um, if if you are um, poor, um, you you sometimes you know get judged in a very harsh way. Um, you know, social classes is still something very prevalent. I think we inherited that from from the colonial times, perhaps. Uh, and so there's this like you know race and education kind of like. Um, conjunction that you know makes marginalization a, a big problem in 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 where I'm from um so growing up I I I quickly became aware of that and uh and you know like I remember being very vocal about what I considered to be unfair um so this is something that I have always like been present uh in my life um something that changed me quite a bit um was when I was in, I was, I think, 15 uh, years old um, when the Zapatista uprising, uprising started in, in the south part of Mexico, in Chiapas. Uh, that was an eye-opener for me. Um, um, I was a big city, middle-class kid, you know, uh, and all this. So then I, 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 I became aware of the existence of the native communities down in the south, for example, and the injustice that they were facing and and the and how trapped they were in terms of poverty and marginalization. Um, so that a few years later, when I was seventeen, I had a chance to volunteer and go down there as a human rights observer. That's how much impact that event had on me. Who was influential in your early life that has made a mark on you and driven you forward to the life that you now lead? That's a really good question. Um, I'm trying to think about my earliest influence in in that sense. Um, I I can't remember his name. His last name was Baca, and uh, and he sadly passed away too way too young. Um, but when I did my high school uh, volunteering placement, uh, he was in charge of this resource center. That was like a, non, a small nonprofit that worked in a low-income neighborhood, and I worked with him. And I don't remember getting engaged with him in this like very meaningful conversation about so, conversations about social issues, um, and 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 that kind of like helped me to learn uh, about that. Um, another influence was my mom. Uh, my mom has been very vocal about it as well uh, about injustices, especially. In regards to like institutions, for instance, she was very, and she's still very vocal about about the church, for example, or the or politicians being corrupted. 
and um and she always tried to like advocate for the little guy so i think those were my my two like first like strong influences that trip you took uh as an observer in, in the zapatista uprising what did you see and and how did it influence you well i i saw a couple of things um the the first the first thing that i struck me the most uh again as a as a city boy from a middle class family was the isolation uh i remember i i landed in in the tuscla gutierrez airport in chiapas and i had to like take a, a bus to uh san cristobal and then i had to like take another um a small van to another town called ocosingo and then another one that dropped me off pretty much in a dirt road and i waited for a truck to pass by and pick me up uh, out of their goodwill and drop me off in, you know, after a few hours in a, in a village. Uh, it was literally in, in, in the middle of nowhere in the jungle. And um, so that was the first one, you know, like the, um, the lack of infrastructure uh, for sure. Um, and it's very marked in Mexico, the North, generally speaking, the North part of Mexico tends to be more developed. The middle part, it's also fairly developed and normally government institutions are there. And then the South uh, is way less uh, developed and has a very, very high poverty rate. So isolation comes with that, right? Like, uh, you know, access to public services and things like that. So that's the first thing. The second one was the strong uh, military presence. Um, I, I saw like soldiers everywhere, uh, with the machine guns and their, you know, like armor cars and everything. And and it was really shocking for me because in big cities, normally you don't see that. Um, and, and, and the last thing that I, that I struck me that perhaps the most was that for first time in my life, I ran into someone from Mexico that didn't speak Spanish. I, I ran into a person that was a, a, a member of an indigenous community that didn't speak Spanish. Uh, and, and that was very shocking, you know, like um, uh, it, made, it, it helped me to create, to have a bigger sense of awareness about like how diverse uh, my country is uh, in terms of cultures, uh, in terms of access to services, uh, in terms of um, socioeconomic status. How did you first learn about Horizons of Friendship? How do you... How did he, I became aware of, of Horizons? Uh, in all fairness, I learned about it when I was I was thinking about transitioning to a new job, um, and I feel like it was almost like a match made in heaven. Uh, for instance, one of our partners uh, in in Central America, our partner in Chiapas in Mexico, happened to be. Um, a sister organization of the place where I volunteered when I was in high school. And uh, it's called DESMI. And DESMI is part of, of Fray Bartolome de las Casas Center. And I volunteered with Fray Bartolome de las Casas. And um, so when I had my my first phone call with them, uh, I was like, wow, you know, like what a coincidence. It's almost like a match made in heaven. Uh, but but uh, but yeah, I became aware of Horizons uh, when I started like you know trying to like uh, move to another job and keep growing professionally. Um, 
And yeah, and, and and as I mentioned before, it was almost like a match made in heaven for me. So you've mentioned a bit about about the uh, the work that was being done in the association with your past. But what else was the attraction to draw you in to, to make you want to become the executive director? Um, I Many things. Uh, first of all, the mandate, um, you know, fighting poverty uh, is very, very important for me. Um, there's something that I, a term that we, we use, or I use at least, uh, I, I pick it up from uh, a book or, or, or so, some other expert in international development, but I call it the poverty trap. Um, so the fact that, and, and when I talk about the poverty trap, I, I feel like, um, I'm talking about those situations where you are in a place, in a community where you're born poor, and that it's the main uh, factor that is gonna decide your future. You are trapped, you know, there's no way to move up. You know, if you are in poor, in an isolated community, experiencing bad nutrition um, with no proper education, it's very, very, very hard for you to move on and, and have a, a reach, uh, get closer to reach your full potential. So when I read about Horizons and their mandate to, to deal with that and try to break the poverty trap uh, in Central America and in Mexico, uh, I, I was very excited about it. Um, the other one is that I always, always, um, I went to school for for international development. That's my master's degree. And I felt like this was a really good opportunity to start moving in that direction. Um, most of my experience in the past has been focusing a lot in nonprofit organizations whose mandate is in Canada. Um, so this was a good opportunity for me to kind of like move to an international kind of like level. Um, the other one is that it's an organization that is going through a big transition. Uh, as you mentioned it before, um, we had the same executive director for, for many, many years, uh, Patricia, who did a wonderful job uh, for Horizons. Um, but Patricia is retiring. Um, so are other key staff members. So this is a good opportunity for me kind of to like reinvent horizons a little bit you know like shape it um in a different way in a way that is sustainable and continues doing its mandate what do you see as the successes of horizons well the the main one is the the impact that is having in in, in the local communities in in mesoamerica which is central america and the south part of mexico um they just we just finished a huge project in Guatemala um, related to um, to healthcare for for moms and infants, and it was very very successful. Um, I was told that we managed to actually uh, reduce the mortality rate in those communities that we were operating. Um, so that to me that's one of the biggest successes. Uh, that's prolonging lives. That's allowing people to, you know, get closer to reach their potential. Um, another one um, has been to like to thrive. Um, when I when I read about Horizons, I was amazed that this small community of ninety thousand, you know, is the host, is the home 
of an international development agency, right? Um, that's a very special thing. And and now that I, I live in Oshawa, but I, I've been going every day pretty much to, to Coburg uh, this month. Uh, every time I talk to people, they tell me how important is Horizons for them and how much they remember, you know, the building, remember going to the thrift store as kids, remember volunteering, donating, uh, it's part of the community. So that's, to me, that's other success because we are not a large complex organization with 3000 staff or 300 staff, right? Like we're a small team that is following a mandate of fighting poverty and breaking the poverty trap in Mesoamerica. What are some of the challenges you're aware of at this early stage? Oh, <laughs> I can, I can, uh, you know, uh, well, uh, the first big challenge, in my opinion, is um, to manage this transition well, that make sure that it's a smooth for stakeholders. Uh, and when I say stakeholders, I'm talking about our donors, uh, I'm talking about our volunteers, I'm, I'm talking about, about partners on the ground in, in Mesoamerica. Um, there has been, um, uh, the, all, every, regardless of the organization or, or how well you plan it, how well you plan these situations, transitions always going to be bumpy regardless. And just trying to make sure that the bumps are not big or very um, um, hurtful for the organization. So um, I'm, I'm trying to like really engage um, staff that are retiring. I'm trying to engage people that are already retired or have moved on to different jobs uh, because I want to like bridge that knowledge gap from my end as a as a leader of this organization i want to understand the culture of this organization but also i want to understand the past which is also a key ingredient ingredient on that you know what we have done that went well what we have done that didn't go that well um that's that's a big task for me um and i'm spending a lot of time on that um i have also uh um, started a round of, of phone calls, well, video calls actually with our partners on the ground. I have met four of them already uh, out of the seven that we have. Um, just to introduce myself and something that I'm asking them after introducing or myself and, and you know warming up a little bit, I'm asking them what they enjoy the most about working with us. Uh, and, and also I'm asking them what we can improve. You know, uh, you know, is there anything from their end that we can do better? Um, so I, I'm trying to like make this transition smooth, learn from previous experiences and start building that like strong relationship with, with everyone. You mentioned earlier in our conversation, the Maternal Health Project, which was a major long-term initiative that was a huge focus for Horizons. And as you mentioned, it, it's over now. What do you see as the major focal project for Horizons going forward, or do you have one? Right now, we don't have one. Um, we have um, a smaller projects that are very localized that are going to allow us to have a big impact on those communities. Um, but, uh, but speaking of challenges, that's the next big challenge for us. Uh, we need to... Um, um, to try to, to see if we can like 
like um, start a, a larger project, maybe a regional based. Um, we were aware of the global affairs, for example, is like launching a call of proposals uh, in May um, related to health systems. Um, and one of the areas of work is Latin America and the Caribbean. So we're thinking about like trying to put a proposal there um, uh, and see if we can like launch um, a larger project at some point. But it takes time. And uh, so we'll see. Uh, I'm hopeful. Um, Migrant workers will soon be returning to Northumberland. Uh, they may even be here already. This is a cornerstone project for Horizons. Can you bring us up to date as to what's going on with that? Yes, definitely. I, I'm glad you, you mentioned it. Um, so yeah, you, you're correct. I actually met the first migrant worker um, Friday last week. Uh, his name is, was Luis from, from Sinaloa, Mexico. And he, he told me that uh, in the next couple of weeks, the migrant workers are going to be arriving. Uh, he was kind of like, waiting for his bodies to arrive um, in a few weeks. Uh, so the updates, we just hired an, a new outreach, migrant outreach worker. Uh, her name is Megan Botta. Um, yesterday was, was her first day, actually. So this, this is a good timing for that question. Uh, Megan comes with a lot of knowledge. She volunteered uh, two years ago in our program. Um, the migrant worker program and she worked for the neighborhood and organization that that's uh, that does outreach worker with migrant workers in another and in another area um but something very fascinating about megan is that she did her master's degree on um healthcare uh, no on public policies related to healthcare and migrant workers um so she comes with with this like really deep understanding on the challenges that migrant workers are facing but um, because she did um, research on that and on the ground, on the field. Um, so I'm very excited uh, that she's joining us. Um, and yeah, so that's where we're, where we're at. Uh, she has a lot of, of, of ideas. Um, yesterday was her first meeting. Um, and I'm, I'm very excited um, to have her around. Um, also, I'm, I'm going to try to see if we can leverage relationships with some of the uh, consulates. Uh, for instance, I had a conversation with the consulate to Mexico yesterday um, because they also um, they have staff dedicated to to do outreach with migrant workers. So we're thinking about maybe collaborating for some events where you know, like we go and provide some 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 support, some welcome kits, and then the consulate comes and gives them some important information about pension plans, for example, and and things like that. In your career, you've worked a lot with volunteers. What are your plans for engaging the community at large? That's a really good question. Um, so I, one of the plans that I have is to, um, to see if we can uh, leverage our thrift store a little bit more uh, to see if how we can engage more volunteers through that. Um, there's there's a very interesting balance in terms of volunteering and volunteer engagement. Uh, you have to make sure that there's a need from your end as an organization and, uh, and make sure that, that whatever need you have is meaningful for the volunteers, that there's something rewarding on their experience. 
So um, all this to say that I'm I'm thinking about trying to see exploring those options, but I want to make sure that whatever uh, volunteer opportunity we have for for anyone is something that is meaningful for them and uh, and rewarding. The other aspect of that, and it's not strictly related to volunteers, is students. Um, I think that we have a a capacity to accommodate um, students in our organization uh, to do their placements. Uh, we had two of them that they just ended their placements, but I feel like we can accommodate around two, uh, around four or six of them. So that's the other one. Finances are always a focal point for any nonprofit. How would you describe the organization's finances and what are your plans for fundraising? Um, so our finances are, are, are stable. Um, we are very, very lucky um, that Patricia and Rick and the ones that were before, um, they had a really good uh, vision in terms of stability for the organization. So we're very stable. Um, the challenge that we have is to, um, there are two things. One, uh, to grow, uh, to see how we can we can engage a larger pool of, of donors and supporters um, because that, that will allow us to um, to have a, bear, a bigger impact in, in, in Mesoamerica. Um, and the second one is that um, a lot of our donors are aging donors. Um, so we need to find a way to like make sure that we work for the future as well. Uh, we have wonderful, wonderful um, donors that have been supporting us for you know, like 40, 30, 50 years. Um, but uh, but the reality is that, um, you know, sadly, some of them, you know, they're not in the possibility of donating anymore. Uh, some of them passed away. So we need to make sure that we we re-energize um, our, our organization and we start engaging um, a, a wider pool of, 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 of donors and supporters. I noticed you're a student of history. In fact, it's a passion of yours. What is it oh, about yeah. Mexican history that fascinates you so much? Uh, so uh, I'm not sure how, how much you know about, about about Mexico in recent history, but Mexico history in Mexico has been always very manipulated. Uh, so growing up, we we were under the rule of the PRI, which which was the, the a political party that ruled Mexico for 75 years. The, the PRI was very good in creating a narrative in terms of history. Uh, you know, they were the good guys, they were the bad guys, and the good guys, they all, get, all got along, and they were friends, and they fought the bad guys, right? And the PRI was the, you know, the successor of those good guys that fought for freedom. So that was the narrative in a nutshell. Um, so I, at some point I started reading um, more about history. My mom is really into history. So she always had like this, like, um, you know, like al alternate uh, version of, you know, uh, historical events. Uh, so I started reading, reading more about Mexican history and the complexities and the, and uh, of of Mexican history, but also about the, I guess we can call it missing opportunities that Mexico has um, experienced. You know, from the moment that Mexico started to, people in Mexico started to fight for their independence, 
through the revolution, uh, the people that start social movements are normally not the people that ended. For instance, the person that started the independence war in Mexico died, you know, then his successor died, you know, like, uh, and at the end of the day, the Mexican war of independence ended because there was a partner, it became a partnership between um, the revolutionaries and some loyal Spanish officers that just wanted to move on. Uh, Re Mexican revolution, the same. Uh, Madero, who was a very uh, moderate, democratic oriented leader, he got like killed in a military coup and and that triggered uh, the second stage of the Mexican Revolution that was very messy. And it, became, and it was a, a human catastrophe. Uh, one million people from Mexico passed away in the conflict, died as a result of the conflict. So things like that. So I became very, very fascinated. The other one, though, and I need to mention it, is World War I. That's my other passion. You've worked on political campaigns, in particular the Green Party. Yeah. What is your involvement in Canadian politics, and do you have any aspirations to become a politician? No, I know. I think working for a politician uh, um, show me how how much you're exposed to um, to to everything. You know, abuse. Uh, you know, like you you don't get a break. You are you are like twenty four seven. And and I have a lot of respect for politicians. Um, I not I have no intention of ever running for office. Uh, I respect whoever puts a name out there, uh, especially women, ambitious minorities. I have a lot of respect for them. Um, the um, it's a lot of hard work. I I used to work um, many years ago for Elizabeth May's campaign and. And I remember her getting up at four in the morning uh, to have a radio interview for a station in Newfoundland, uh, driving around, like rallying people, you know, keeping a smile on her face, even though she just slept for four hours. So uh, that, I had a lot of respect for anyone that is willing to do that. And now these days with social media, it's even, even more difficult because you get a lot of abuse. What do you do when you're not working hard at Horizons? So what do you do to relax and have fun? Uh, that's a good question. Um, well, um, I normally I, I come back home and, uh, and I spend time with my kids and my wife. I have two kids, um, uh, Lucy, who's two years old, and Ellis, who's five. Uh, they normally go to bed around 7.38 p.m. Then I, I do my chores here. And normally the, the person in charge of doing the uh, washing the dishes and, and cleaning the kitchen. Uh, once that that's done, I I try to to talk to um, to Rebecca a little bit, uh, my wife, uh, and watch TV for the most of it. Um, something that I try to do though um, that is important for me as well is I try to to like sit down and have a good conversation with a friend once a week. Uh, that's that's what I do. That's that's what helps me a lot to relax. Uh, a, a nice, meaningful, honest conversation where you where you can be vulnerable and talk about your what you, what your worries and and your pains and what's making you happy, and, and that that's what relaxes me. And and I'm very lucky. I'm very blessed to have a a good roster of friends that are willing to to take on that challenge and sit down with me and have those conversations. So what's next for you? 
and horizons. What's what's next for me? Um, you're asking me really good questions and and really big questions. Uh, what's be, what's next for me? Well, right now uh, we're in the process of hiring uh, uh, new staff. Uh, the person in charge of 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 or fund development or of of the person in charge of managing the relationships with, with our donors is retiring. So we are in the process of, of hiring somebody new for that position. Um, I'm trying my best and uh, uh, to make sure that that this person has opportunity to overlap with 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 the person that is retiring so they can transfer that knowledge uh, because you know, organizing for recent events, uh, writing grants, it's a skill that you can learn. But the understanding the relationships with your donors is something that uh, you, you acquire, right? So if you have a chance to learn from, from the person that is owning those relationships, that's going to help to smooth the transition. Uh, that's one. Uh, the other one is, um, I think we have to like... Mm, Transition or horizons a little bit to the reality of 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 nonprofit organizations. Um, you know, like uh, being more flexible, allowing people to work from home. Um, that will help us to like you know reach out a larger pool of 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 talent in order to like and people interested in working with us. Uh, re- finding meaningful ways to ways to engage our stakeholders like our donors and our volunteers. Um, that's another one. Um, but I think uh, putting that aside, uh, we need to um, to do a little bit of soul searching in terms of of how we want to see the future look like for horizons. Um, you know, like things have changed. We um, so in terms like financially, you know, like we have this large project that's over. Uh, hopefully we can get another one um, in the future. But in the meanwhile, we need to make sure that we um, continue with our mission and continue supporting our partners, and we continue to do our best to to um, to get people in Mesoamerica to to reach their their potential. Rodrigo Koinix, thank you so much for talking to me today. No, my pleasure. That was Rodrigo Koinix the new executive director for Horizons of Friendship. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, 
please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.